Sutton Brothers. Welcome back to another episode of Porn and the Gospel. I am your host, Spencer Sutton, and it's good to be back here with you today. I wanted to record, this is kind of a special uh, podcast episode simply because I, this past weekend, I was uh, in Oregon, Missouri, and I had been invited to speak at a men's conference called the Rise Up Conference, and it was just an incredible time of um, really just uh, fellowship with other brothers, and uh, got to know some of these guys that I had been corresponding with via email and via text for a period of a couple of months as we started talking about this, uh, and it was just a really, really incredible time. So what I want to do is I spoke on Friday night, and um, I wanted to share that message with you here because I think it's extremely relevant. And, you know, at the end of the day, what this podcast is about, like my goal, my desire for this podcast is to give brothers hope and tell them the truth that freedom from pornography is possible, no matter what kind of lies you've been believing, no matter, you know, how long you've been struggling, it doesn't even matter. And so this is especially for you, brother. And the whole point is like the goal of this podcast is yes, to give you hope, but then to equip you. Like I want to see you learn and apply the gospel to your own situation, to your own life in regards to pornography. Then I want to see you living in freedom, living in purity. And then ultimately, when you go from learning to living, you eventually get to leading. And so my whole desire in this is to have brothers in Christ who are equipped and who are willing to share, willing to stand up and say, hey, listen, I've had this struggle and the Lord has been gracious to me and I want to share my story. I want to share my testimony with you. And I believe that other men can find freedom. So that is, that's it because Again, and I've mentioned this before on the podcast, like Galatians 6, 1 and 2 is the whole theme behind this. And it says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, I learned that the correct, uh, the, the correct way that you would actually interpret that is caught up in any transgression. In other words, in a lifestyle of sin or habitual sin, brothers, if anyone is caught up in any transgression, you who are spiritual or filled with the Spirit should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So we want to bear one another's burdens because when we're bearing one another's burdens, it's proof that we are making disciples. And that's what this is about. And so what was refreshing for me was to be in Missouri this past weekend and see brothers who were willing to come out on a Friday and a Saturday. It was cold. <clears throat> we worshiped outside. Uh, we, we heard from other speakers besides myself outside. We got around a bonfire. You know, we, we had this big campfire. Like it was, it was good. Like it was cold, but it was, 
it was much needed. And I, I was sitting there Saturday morning after having a couple of cups of coffee and having some conversations with some brothers and just, I was just praising God, just like, thank you, Lord, for allowing me to come from Birmingham, Alabama, to be there with these brothers and uh, what a blessing it was to me. So I want to share this message from Judges 6. And so I think this is important and I've shared a little bit of it in a couple of podcasts ago, a couple of podcast episodes ago, but it's worth repeating and then getting further into this story because, and I called it the man of valor. And the reason I called it that is because this is the first thing that the angel of the Lord says to Gideon. And and I believe, and so when I, and I even went back and was, I was looking at other places where people were called men of valor and it's David's companions. Some of them had faces like lions and it's just a really inspiring look at a man, like that there are men out there, men that God saw fit to call men of valor, like they were brave and they were willing to take a risk for the glory of God. And and that's what I hope, like my hope is that that's you. And if there's one thing that sidelines a believer, a follower of Christ, a man in his mission to make much of Christ in his life, to to do things for the glory of God, to accomplish great things, which I believe every man should desire. Like every man, according to your gifts and abilities, every man should desire that. Every man can be a man of valor. Like I hope that that's your desire and longing and yearning. I want to, like, if that's your desire, I, I hope it is. I want to point you to this story. I want to give you some things to think about because I'm going to give you three principles for becoming a man of valor. All right. So I start with just remembering the first time that I ever saw porn. I was down at the Creek and I used to play there with my buddies all the time. And, uh, I don't know how old I was probably 10, 11, 12. And, uh, somebody had thrown a playboy magazine out of their car and it was down in the Creek. And so my buddy and I found it. We turned it over. We, you know, couldn't believe what we were seeing. Just wow. Had no clue. And we took it and we hit it down there at the Creek. We came back over and over and over again to look at it. Eventually the weather deteriorated the whole thing. And, uh, you know, it was no more. And, <clears throat> you know, when you think about it back then, porn just wasn't easy to access, right? So you had to go out of your way to look at it. Maybe a friend, I do remember a friend, his dad had a stash of magazines and their house, but man, you had to be, if we wanted to see that, we had to really sneak around and it was dangerous. And, uh, there were like, it just wasn't available. But then in 1998, I remember Alice and I got a computer at our, at our house and it was, um, yeah, that was kind of the beginning for easy and anonymous access to porn for me anyway. And I, and I, like any man who's around my age, maybe a little bit younger, maybe a little bit older, uh, they, they probably remember it was sometime around there when uh, home computers started to become very, very, very popular. 
I got saved in 2000. So, uh, you know, in 2000, November 20, uh, 20, uh, November 20, 2000, I, I was saved, came to faith in Christ. Uh, interestingly enough, at my church, uh, some people approached me about leading a Bible study. So I started teaching other young married couples, just like Allison and I were at the time. That was in 2000, all the way to 2006. And then David Platt came to our church and started preaching. I got super involved in missions. I was in real estate at the time. That was my profession. And then in 2008, I, uh, the, of course, the market absolutely crashed. And uh, some friends of I and, and myself, we really felt called anyway to start Never Thirst. So it was a perfect transition for me to go full-time into ministry. And during all this time, like from 98 all the way up until 2008, I struggled with pornography. And it's really, really strange because the Lord was still working in my life. Like I, I could, and I remember periods of purity. There would be periods of purity where I would like fight and we would have men's studies about it. And we would talk about sexual purity. I went through a, uh, a couple of courses. Uh, I remember with some friends and I hadn't even had an accountability partner at the time. The only problem was he was struggling with pornography. And so it became more of just like a confessional when we would come back and forth to each other. And then 2008 started Never Thirst and uh, still struggling with pornography. Five years later, 2013, um, man, uh, one thing led to another. And uh, you can go back and listen to the second episode of the podcast to hear more of the details of what happened in 2013, but I was eventually fired from never thirst, humiliated letters went out to every donor. We had thousands of donors at the time, um, letting everybody know that I had been fired and I still struggled. Like I still struggled. Like 2013 still struggled. Alice and I repaired our marriage and, um, yeah, still struggled. But I remember in 2018, I was at a men's conference. Now, this men's conference that I was at in 2018, it was much, much different than the one I was at this past weekend. So the one I was at this past weekend was in rural Missouri. And I mean, it was just, we were there to do one thing and one thing only. And that was to encourage each other, point each other to Christ, um, to glorify the Lord, to sing praise, to pray together to worship through the word. So that was the focus of this men's conference. The one I was at in December of 2018 was a business conference. And that's the kind of the crazy thing. And it was in San Diego and it cost millions and millions of dollars to put on. And, and I was there with a good, good friend of mine and like the Lord really spoke to me at, at that conference. And, um, I knew at that point, that was in December of 2018, I knew that the last time I had looked at porn was sometime in September of 2018, and I knew at that point that was the last time I would ever look at it, ever look at porn or masturbate. I don't know what it was. So I believe there are two types of men. So the reason I'm telling you that story, like to me in the church, there's two types of men. There are brothers who were like me from 98 to 2018 who are still struggling with pornography. Like, and you need help. 
you need freedom. You need to know there's hope, and then you need to be able to maybe walk through some very practical steps of what it looks like to live a life of sexual integrity. So that's number one. That's the first type of man who's listening to the podcast. And then there's another type of brother out there. And I hope this brother is listening to the podcast as well. And and you don't struggle, but you have been called to bear the burden of your brothers. You must come alongside and be a part of encouraging, exhorting, pointing them to Christ, loving them regardless. Like this is also your duty. Like if we don't think that this is the biggest issue for men in the church today, then we are lying to ourselves. We're lying to ourselves. Like how can we make disciples if we are stuck in this the state of pornography and masturbation? How can we lead our families at home? How can we have an authentic and a transparent marriage if we have men hiding and looking at porn and masturbating? How can they lead at work? Like This problem with pornography is not just about your spiritual life, and it's not just a private matter. This, this has roots and cascades into every area of your life, period, the end. And so, what I want you brothers, both of you, to know is that we need an awakening in the church, right? And so before we rise up, so the conference, the name of the conference was Rise Up. Before we rise up, we need to wake up. Like We need to wake up. And so I'm praying that as we look at the life of Gideon here, that we see the call to do this. So we're going to, a little bit of background, and this is a sum of what I talked about earlier before. Let's look at Judges 1, 19 through 21. And the Lord was with Judah, and he took possession of the hill country, but he could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain because they had chariots of iron. And Hebron was given to Caleb, as Moses had said, and he drove out from it the three sons of Anak. But the people of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. So the Jebusites have lived with the people of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. And we talked about this before. The could not is better translated would not. And the reason we know that is because this is the same God. When it says there in verse 19, and the Lord was with Judah, this is the same Lord who brought them out of the out of Egyptian slavery, who parted the Red Sea, who destroyed Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea that gave them manna from heaven and water from a rock, who protected them from enemies, who gave them the law, who led them by a pillar of fire and cloud. Like This is the same God. So who are we like to believe that this God could not drive out the inhabitants because of some chariots of iron. This makes zero sense. So we know that the could not is better translated would not. Would not. And so this starts to cascade in the rest of the people of Israel. Judges 1, 27, Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shean and its villages. Judges one thirty three. Naphtali did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh or the inhabitants of Beth Anath. And so they lived among the Canaanites. 
the inhabitants of the land. Judges 135, the Amorites persisted in dwelling in Mount Heres. So, you know, if you were just to dive into um, you know, Judges 1 and start reading, and, and by the way, Joshua has passed away. So when Joshua was alive, when the elders who were with Joshua, when they all passed away, this is when things started going south, but they were called to go and conquer the rest of the land. If you were just skimming Judges 1, you would think, oh, this is a this is a great conquest. They're really doing it. They're 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 getting out there and and they're taking over the land. And even if they're not conquering the people and pushing them out, you know, they're forcing them to work for them. It says several times that they, you know, they had forced labor. And ultimately, if if we want to be truthful about the matter. It's half-hearted. Like their commitment to do what the Lord says is half-hearted. Let's do the bare minimum. Let's hit the easy button. And if we're honest with ourselves, it sounds a lot like us, doesn't it? I know in my life what starts in earnest with a lot of passion spiritually can slowly fade as I settle down and as I pay attention to what everyone else is doing, this is the comparison trap. And so what happens is this begins what we see in judges is called the cycle of the judges. And these people are living with conviction. They're living, they're committed to God. And then all of a sudden they start to, they get complacent. Then they get compromised. Then they get captured by their enemies, then they get crushed by their enemies, then they cry out to God. So those are the C's that I that I saw. But if you you could even Google like the cycle of the judges and there's several diagrams that show you what that looks like. And we read about it in Judges chapter two. Like this is what would happen. And it's not unlike, I'll tell you what it exactly what it's exactly like. It's not unlike the man who struggles with pornography. Because we live in the status quo. Okay, so everything's going on okay. Everything is fine. Everything is fine. And then all of a sudden there's a trigger. Now I've I've gone into detail about this in um, a, a podcast episode. I believe it's called The Circle of Insanity. I think I titled it that. I didn't check before I got on here, but there's a trigger. That trigger leads to a story. And typically that story is unbelief in God, even though we don't call it that. Even though we don't call it that. It is. We get complacent. We start to compromise. We're like, hey, what's wrong with looking at Instagram? What's wrong with you know, looking at this girl on Instagram, there's nothing wrong with it because it's, she's not naked. So we convince ourselves, we tell ourselves stories. Then the story leads to a ritual and the ritual leads to acting out. And then at the end of looking at pornography and masturbating, you are in this pit of shame. And this is where the Israelites would find themselves. They would get complacent. 
they would compromise, they would get captured by their enemy, they'd get crushed by their enemy, and then eventually they'd be in the pit and they'd be crying out to God, God, help us. And this is what you and I do when we fall to porn over and over and over and over again. We do the same thing. We get complacent, we begin to compromise, we get tempted, we get captured, we get crushed, and then we call out, we cry out to God in the bottom of our pit, and we promise, and we promise, Lord, I'll never do it again. Don't, please, Lord, I don't ever want to go back to porn again. Don't, like, don't let me. And so what would happen in Israel, as we, as you read through the book of Judges, is God would send them a judge to save them. And then everything would be great. They would serve the judge while, I mean, they would serve the Lord while the judge lived and until they got, until the judge passed away typically, and then they got complacent and got compromised. And it just goes over and over and over again. So when we're in our pit of shame and guilt and self-loathing and crying out to God, God, I don't want to do it again, we find forgiveness. Like he doesn't send us a judge. He sends us Christ and Christ has already been judged for our for, for forgiveness of sins. And so when we repent, if we repent, not regret, not just act regretful, if we repent, then we find this forgiveness and then we feel the peace of God. But guess what, brothers? Nothing changes. We keep it hidden, we keep it to ourselves, and we think for like we're we're fools for thinking. And we've been doing this for decades. We're fools for thinking, I've got it under control. That will be the last time. And so when we get to Judges 6, this is where Gideon is. When we get to Judges 6, let's read verses 1 through 4. Because we before Gideon, we've seen four judges, and the last judge just passed away. And here's what it says. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. In verse 6, and Israel was brought very low because of Midian. Okay, so they've, they've gone all the way through the cycle. They're at the bottom of the cycle. If you were drawing a circle... And the people of Israel cried out to help to the Lord, cried out for help to the Lord. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And he said to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord, your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. So you see, they cry out for deliverance, but instead of sending a savior, he sends them a sermon. He sends his word, a prophet, to convict them. And essentially, the prophet's saying, this is a word from the Lord. This is what he has done, and this is how you have responded. This is who God is and what he's done in 
you have not obeyed. And and really, when we think about it, their crying out was not true repentance. And that's why God sent them a prophet to convict them of their sin. Their crying out was they were they were under a lot of pressure from the Midianites, and they were tired of being oppressed. And so they were more regretful of their circumstances. Like I had many times like this when I would be so sick of my sin, so falling, so sick of falling into porn over and over and over. I would cry out to God and I would look for his deliverance. But it pains me to tell you that most of it was because I hated the feeling of shame. And I didn't like I wanted to be thought of as holy. I want to be thought of as a man of purity, but I wasn't interested in repent like true repentance. The problem is that in all of my repentance and sorrow, nothing really changed, right? And so I was looking for God to save me from my troubles, but I'm not as interested in doing what he says. I love what Tim Keller says about the difference between regret and repentance, because what we see in the people is we see regret. And this is what he says. He says, the Bible makes a clear distinction between regret and repentance. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death, 2 Corinthians 7.10. Both are characterized by by very deep sorrow and distress, but they are completely different. First, worldly sorrow or regret does not produce any real change, while repentance does. Why? Regret is sorrow over the consequences of a sin, but not over the sin itself. If there had been no consequences, there would have been no sorrow. There's no sorrow over the sin for what it is in itself, for how it grieves God and violates our relationship with him. The focus is horizontal or worldly and not at all vertical concerned about how it affects our relationship with God. Therefore, as soon as the consequences go away, the behavior comes back. The heart has not become disgusted with the sin itself, so the sin remains rooted. Hear that, brothers. Let me ask you a question. Are you truly repentant or are you regretful? Like, are you regretful at the circumstances that you find yourself in? So here are the three. So God sends them a prophet, and now he's about to send them Gideon and enter Gideon. So I want to talk to you about three principles for becoming a man of valor, because I want every man of God to be a man of valor to stand up for what is for what is right to lead not only his family but I want them to lead in the church and I want them to lead other brothers into freedom principle number 1 before a man can rise up and go to war he must wake up to his identity I think I've made it very, very clear in this podcast. Probably I've mentioned it on every single podcast. This is war. Life is war. Period. The end. If if you don't come at life with a framework of war, then you will get slaughtered. Or, or you will waste your life. 
I, I'm not going to go through all the scriptures where Paul talks about put to death whatever is, you know, earthly in you. Or Peter talks about like the sin that wages war against your soul. But before you can go to war, you have to wake up to your identity. So this is this is where it comes in. Judges 6, verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat underneath the terebinth at Ophrah, which belongs to Joash the Abyssalite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. So I want you to see this. Gideon is hiding. He's hiding in the wine press because he doesn't want the Midianites to take this wheat. So he's hiding from his enemies. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt, but now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of the, of, the, of Midian? And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And later on in verse 16, he says, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. So the first thing I want you to see here is that the Lord initiated the discussion and Again, Gideon was hiding, not because he was doing anything evil, but because he was scared and he was tired of being oppressed. And the Lord comes to him and calls him a mighty man of valor. The angel of the Lord reminded him of his identity. What I see in men so often in the church who are struggling with porn or any other habitual sin is that they have forgotten their identity in Christ. Men forget who they are, and therefore they act out of a completely different identity. And this is the truth. I want you to hear this. You can write this down. You are always doing or not doing something based on who you believe yourselves to be. That is a fact. Or you are always doing or not doing something based on who you want to become. And if you, brother, have no holy ambition, then you will not become a man of valor. Like if your whole aim in this is just to be free from pornography, then that is not becoming a man of valor. Like that's the bare minimum. I had a friend who I was talking with the other day, and he said he had been to a counselor. And this uh, this woman was giving was counseling and so she and he'd been to her several times and he she asked him how are you doing and um you know tell me what's going on in your life and he said i, I want to tell you hey listen i hadn't looked at porn in two months and he was super proud of that and she said is that all and he goes what do you mean she goes is that the measure? Is that the standard you're setting? Is like you're coming in here and very excited about not looking at porn? Is that what your life is? And like, I hope it's not for you. And he was, he's never forgotten that. Like it just happened not long ago, but he's like, that made a huge impression on him. And rightfully so. Like, this is not about being done with porn. This is about 
finding joy and purpose and bearing fruit in Christ. That's what this is about. And so, so many men have been trapped for so long, they don't even see themselves as a man of God. They don't even understand what it means to go to war against sin for the glory of God. We would rather be victims and believe lives and live like wasted lives of fantasy. And so some of you need to hear this. Like we can go all throughout scripture and find passages where God is reminding his people who they are, where Paul uses language to remind you who you are and what you have in Christ, all that is yours in Christ. But the problem is we don't even open our Bibles to see this. We don't even open our Bibles to meditate on it, to memorize it, to study it. And we have to. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 11, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Peter saying, this is who you are. Now go out and wage war. Like this is who you are. And so abstain. You're not, this is not your home. Like you are a sojourner. You are an exile. You're just like the children of Egypt, the children of Israel wandering in the desert. This is not your home. I could go on Romans 6. 6 to 11 is a beautiful picture, just like talking about we've died with Christ and we're going to live with Christ. Death has no more dominion over Christ. And the one who has died has been set free from sin. In verse 11, Paul says, this is sums it up. He says, so you must also consider, or the word there and translated in other, uh, other Bibles is, reckon or think deeply, you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So you have to remember your identity. And so the the angel of the Lord, the message to Gideon, God's message to Gideon was wake up, take on this new identity. He he told him three different times who he was, mighty man of valor. Go and attack in this might of yours. You will strike Midian as one, strike the Midianites as one man. Like he's reaffirming his identity. Understand, he says, I understand I'm sending you to war for my glory among my people. And so this leads us. So once Gideon has this identity repeated to him, even though he said, No, that's not me. I'm the weakest. My clan is the is the smallest. That's not me. The angel Lord reaffirm, reaffirm. And then in principle number two is a man must know and believe that God is for him and with him. So I want you to see three times, not like not only do we see three times that God's giving him his identity, like reassuring his identity, but he also tells him that he would be with him. So God is not asking him to go and just do something. Go and attack every single time. Verse 12, he says, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Verse 14, 
go in this might of yours. Do not I send you? And then in verse 16, I will be with you. Brother, uh, you're not Gideon, and I'm not taking this. Like this passage is not, hey, God's telling you this. But I want you to see, I want you to see that God, I, I want you to believe that God is for you and he is with you. What's also beautiful about this is not only three times does he tell him he's going to be with him or that he is with him, four different times God gives him a sign. The first sign, Gideon says in the first encounter, like, hey, will you let me go and prepare the sacrifice? And the angel Lord said yes, and he touched it with a staff, and it turned like fire came up from the rock and consumed it. And, and Gideon was like, oh, my goodness, this was the Lord. I saw the Lord face to face. That was the first sign. The second sign was the fleece, right? Make make the ground dry and the fleece wet, wet. And then the next one was make the fleece dry and the ground wet. I can't remember the order, but twice he asked him for a sign with a fleece. And then there was a fourth sign. There was a fourth sign. It's in Judges 7 when Judges when God told, tells him to arise and go attack the Midianites. But he says, but, but, but Gideon, if you're still scared, I want you to go down to the camp and listen to how they're talking. They're scared to death. So Gideon took a servant. They went down and they heard these these Midianites were saying, oh my goodness, I just had a dream. And this big, I can't remember exactly, rock came into camp and it destroyed the entire camp. And this is no other than Gideon and the Lord. And oh my goodness, we're going to die. And that was the fourth sign that God gave him. So the first three Gideon asked for, the fourth one was all grace. God saying, you know what? I understand you're scared. I understand you're scared. So before a man can win the war against porn in his life, he must win the battle inside his own heart to believe that God is for him and with him, to have faith in the truth of what God tells us in his word. Like, God placed this call on Gideon's life. Go in this might and save the people because I am with you. And every man, every man listening to this podcast has a call on his life to go and bear fruit. Not just to live the Christian spin on the American dream. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. John 15, 8. But before Gideon could realize that call, could go to war, something else had to happen. And this leads us to principle number three. Principle number three is a man must destroy the enemies within his own camp. Judges 6, 25. That night, the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord, your God, on, on the top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. So Gideon took 10 men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. So catch this. Before God used Gideon in a much, much bigger way 
for the sake of his people, God had him do something that might have been just as frightening. He told him to tear down the altar of Baal. And brother, I want to tell you, before God is going to, before God used Gideon to bear fruit, to do good works, to defeat the enemy with just 300 men, he had to get rid of the idols in his own household. And this is, this is for you and me as well. Brother, if you're listening to this and you have a desire to do great things for God, and I hope you do, it's this, it's this problem with pornography, this idolatry, this loving porn more than we love God that has to go. Like you need to deal with porn in your life, period, the end. And it's likely, it's probably likely that you're going to need other men to help you along the way, just like Gideon did. Notice this. He took 10 men of his servants. And later he took 300 other men. So I want to, I want to end by telling you a story and then giving you a warning. I believe God gives us opportunities to tear down these altars and get rid of these idols, to root out the enemy and get rid of porn from our lives. I believe he opens the door. And I had that opportunity. I had that opportunity a lot. I mean, let's just be honest. <laughs> Every single day is an opportunity. But one particular time I remember, I was on a mission trip with my pastor we were, uh, this is David Platt, and we were in Kashmir, extreme North India, and just right on the border of Pakistan. We were there visiting some house churches and just fellowshipping. I had my brother with me. There were a couple other guys with us, and we were just like just fellowshipping with these brothers who lived there, who were passionate about worshiping the Lord, about seeing other Muslim background people, like Muslims come to faith in Christ. This is so they were Muslim background believers. The, this whole area in Kashmir is uh, predominantly uh, Muslim. And as a matter of fact, India's largest mosque is there. So we sat there and I remember having lunch and talking to these guys and just listening to the story, especially uh, all their stories, but especially one brother whose wife, uh, he, he and his wife both got arrested. They'd come to faith in Christ. They went to South India and trained at a Bible college and then came back to share the gospel in their town in Kashmir, and they were both arrested separately, taken and kept in separate cells. And then they let the wife go, and her parents acted like they completely understood and they were going to work it out, and ultimately at the end of the day, uh, they poisoned her and she died. We were just listening to these stories and man, just amazed at how committed these believers were. And, and, and he was sitting there saying he praised God that his wife sacrificed her life because he pointed to some other <clears throat> believers who, in the, who were in the room with us. And he said, had she not died, had she not given her life for the gospel, these people wouldn't have come to faith in Christ. So it was just a very, very powerful time. But we were in Kashmir, and so we left there, and we were walking around. I remember we were walking in the city, and 
Dave and I were alone for a period of time. And just a few weeks prior to that trip, I had received something in the mail. It was a, a elder nomination form. And I knew that the elder nomination process, I knew what it involved. And one of the things that they were going to be asking me about was pornography. And I did not want to lie. Like I was already lying, right? I was lying to myself. I had lies of omission, things I should have said, but didn't say, but I didn't want to lie and I didn't want to tell the truth. So David just happened to ask me, I never thought he'd ask me this in a million years, but he asked me, Spencer, how come you decided not to go through the process of becoming an elder, like the elder nomination process? And I had a split second to tell the truth or to lie and to hide. And I lied. I told him that I was... You know, I, I had a lot of travel. We were just starting Never Thirst, and I'm going to be traveling a whole bunch. I just didn't think I had the time to do it. I didn't want to. I didn't want to confess to my pastor, or really anyone else, that I had been struggling with porn for the past decade. And instead of dragging it out into the light, I hid in the darkness. And because of that hiding, like because that opportunity, I would struggle for the next 10 years. And this is the pattern, like the struggle and the pain of porn cascaded down through my entire life. My relationship with God was weak and without true abiding and fruit bearing. Now, never thirst was incredible. And the Lord did, in spite of my sin, he worked and did amazing things through the ministry and still is doing amazing things through the ministry. But when you're not walking in the light, there's no close fellowship with God. And so I knew it in my spirit. So my relationship with God was weak. My relationship with my wife was not what it could and should have been. Hiding my true self meant that our emotional intimacy was lackluster, not to mention all of the other impacts porn has on a man. My leadership at the office and at the church suffered. Like if I couldn't keep self-promises and couldn't lead myself, how could I lead other people? I was even teaching Bible studies, but I imagine with little spiritual power. And so... That was a massive opportunity that I missed. And so that's the story. And the warning is, brother, you have opportunity. You do not want to go down the path that I did. You do not want to have the pain and the consequences of porn cascade down your entire life. If it hasn't already, and it has, you likely just don't think about it. You can go through every domain that you let your body, your spiritual life, your family, your business. Absolutely, pornography impacts every single one of those things. So I just want to leave you with that. I want to, I want to leave you with an opportunity to come out of hiding. And so you can email me, Spencer at naturalpornkiller.com 
and I will give you access to some material, to some things that will be a help to you if you want to get well. If you don't want to get well, then it's likely that anything I share with you, anything I give to you is not going to be of any help. You can listen to this podcast. You can do a bunch of different things. Listen, you can consume material and literally and not do anything with it. So I hope that's not you. I hope that you find freedom sooner than I found freedom. Because you don't want to wake up one day decades later and put your hands in your head and say, I've wasted it. All right, brothers. I'll be back with another episode of Porn and the Gospel. Shoot me an email. I'd love to hear from you. And God bless all of you.